everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Today's teaching is rooted in Matthew chapter 6, verses 30 through 34. This is Jesus saying in the message translation, if God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you and take pride in you and do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep yourself. Steep your life. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. I have a great job. I really, really like what I get to do. Um, And sometimes it comes with some funny things. And I want to be clear, as I share this story with you, um, this is not by any means the furthest thing that this could be doing is to poke fun at somebody else. This is a story of deep humility for me in the end. So as a precursor, about a year and a half ago, um, I was getting ready to leave church. It was a Sunday afternoon. I was the last one out of the building. It was probably about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And as I'm walking out into the lobby, the shadows of a couple um, are coming up the sidewalk. And so I open the door, and it's a couple that um, right away I'm like, oh, you seem like you are likely, uh, you have a family heritage that's from India. And welcome them inside. And I'm, Zach, I'm, I'm on staff here. Is there something I can help you with? And they said, yeah, we're here to worship. I was like, oh, it's like, it's like almost 2 o'clock. <laughs> like, we, we do that at 9 and 11. And they're like, yeah. Oh, okay, so so uh, would like would you like me to like pray with you like and I'm I'm like such looking back I'm like I'm such an <laughs> such an idiot like I'm just bumbling like I don't know what to do with you like we we do that we do the worship at like nine and ten forty five and it's two why are you here what's happening right now what's my job and like you know good on me that my first thing is like you want to pray it's like that's a last attempt you know like what. Let's pray, you know, <laughs> and, and we're standing there, and I, and I start to know she's holding a cake, and, and she said, yeah, we, we also, you know, is there a place where we can put this? And I'm like, I don't know. This doesn't happen to me very much. It's not my birthday. There's like, no one's here to eat your cake. I don't know what to do with your cake. And I'm like, well, yeah, if you want, I can, I can like put it back for the, for the staff, and she gets this like, Kind, kind of like affronted look on her face. Like, what, what are you talking about? She said, okay, well, that's fine. Can we just go put it up on the stage? And I said, oh, yes, yes, uh, yes. That's a good idea. And the conversation continues because I am ridiculous. And I, I just, I follow them like a baby duck. Like, so what's going to happen now? And they walk in and they sit down in the front two chairs and I sit next to them. 
because I still don't understand what I'm supposed to do, and my hands are at my sides like this. Like, I'm so tense. And they kind of look over, and I'm like, do you want to pray? And they were like, yes, yes. Who's this guy? Who invited him? Sure, we can pray. They were so gracious, you guys. They are so gracious. We pray together for a little bit. Amen. And then they just, they look at me, and I'm like, I, I now am out of cards to play. I, I don't know. What, I'm going to go sit in the back. Let me know. How, how long do you think you're going to be, by the way? <laughs> I go sit in the back row. I'm like doing some stuff around the church, just taking care of some things. While these two just sit in the front row in utter silence. And I went to turn on the lights, and they said, oh, you can just leave the lights off. The curtains were open, all natural light coming in. And they just sat in the front row, and they just stared up at, they, they stared up at the cross between that and just being in prayer. And about 30, 45 minutes go by, they take a slice of this cake that they've brought and they share it together. And as they're walking out, they stop so graciously for a moment and say, thank you so much. And then they head out. And a few months later, I see the same couple, about 1.30 in the afternoon, dropping in. And this time, I know a little bit, <laughs> enough to be like, Welcome. I'm going to get out of the way and shut my big mouth <laughs> and just let you guys do your thing. And I'm going to sit in the back of the room and just watch you and wonder at you. Not wonder like, what the heck are you doing? But wonder like, wow, look at these folks who came to church at Discovery at 1.30 in the afternoon <laughs> because they just want to worship God. They just wanted to bring something sweet to share between them and him and each other. And that was it. They called Discovery home. Um, I'm not saying that you should pop in at 1.30 in the afternoon when our staff is trying to leave all the time. But man, when those two come, it's a holy moment around here. It's like, it's like the bonus service. It's the after party to a Sunday morning when they are here. And I don't know if you guys watch online. I bet not. But if you do, I just want you to know that you've had a deep impact on how I view this space and my worship of God. At the center of this series that we're in right now is this idea of hearing God. And maybe two questions we'll spend our time with today. How do you hear God? With maybe a second question of when should you hear God? I don't know if these are questions that you wrestle with on the daily, but it's been a really fun series for me. It's been fun hearing from several of you of how, how impactful this has been as you're engaging some of this content. And as we look back on the last couple of weeks, I just want to highlight two weeks ago, we talked about how do you hear God in Scripture? The Bible is so important. And last week, we talked about how this idea of Jesus, like even more than the Bible, the true Word of God is the person of Jesus Christ. And I just wonder if some of you, when we started into the series, were like, yes, we're going to talk about really fun, exciting, cool things and you're getting in now to the later couple of weeks of this series going, did you just tell me to read my Bible and pray? Is that it? Because for many of us, you were either adulting or you were raised by people who were adulting in the 70s and 80s in a time when most culture, church culture in the United States was really stacking all their chips on one way to engage with God. It was this idea of a quiet time. I mean, this is like the way. Have you ever heard of a quiet time? Have you ever heard a friend talk about a quiet time? Really simple, 30 to 60 minutes. Most of that time was spent doing a couple things, 
praying for others, reading a chunk of Scripture, studying it a little bit, praying again, and then a commitment to like, I'm going to share what this time was like with a friend of mine. That's amazing. Like, I want to throw absolutely no shade on the quiet time. That is really good. I, I mean, I would argue that even in that little bit, if you've never heard of that and you're like, that sounds great, you should do it. Like, commit to it. Set a habit around doing that. I also know there's a lot of us in the room who have been following Jesus for a long time. And because this was the predominant practice that was offered, you've engaged this well. And it could be that it's also run out of gas for you. Is that it? When it comes to hearing God, is it as simple and short as read your Bible and pray? Or is there more? What do we mean when we say those things? Today I want to get into that a little bit. And this is where, like, the last two weeks are so important because if we don't have the last two weeks, we just fly off the handle and go nuts. And I'm all for a good party, but I don't want to lose our minds, okay? I want to be rooted to something good and true and beautiful. So we're rooted at this point. How do you experience God? Whoa, that's a question. When do you experience God? This is our morning together. To get us in and maybe to see a more robust set of options of how you could answer, I want to butcher some church history for us, okay? And I truly mean that. I've had a handful of classes in seminary, and I can study a little bit. I want to walk us through about 2,000 years of the church. And in so doing, here's my hope, that as we look at everything from desert mothers and fathers to our friends in the Orthodox Church, that you begin to see, man, the story of how human beings have chosen to engage hearing God's voice. I can locate myself. I can locate desires. I can locate new ideas and imagination and how these folks are doing it. And all the while, I want you to be asking yourself the question, how do I experience God? All right, are you ready? Some of you are like, I hate history. I hope this will be fun. I think this will be a good time. Let's start in about the year 200 A.D., 200 to 300s. There's this group of folks that have been practicing the way of Jesus. They weren't even really calling themselves Christians very much at this point, just followers of the way. And these desert mothers and fathers, these were just a handful of folks who, as they're studying the life of Jesus, they just realize, man, I want to double down on this lifestyle. I'm going to head out into the desert. I'm going to head out into the wilderness. These folks like often lived in caves, they lived in these little hermitages. Sometimes they'd live in communities. Oftentimes they were just by themselves. And the whole idea is I just, I want to be able to focus on this and this alone. I wanna be separate from a society. I wanna escape the world and all its attachments. There was often this focus on that there's so much darkness and sin. I want to get into a place where my life, as I study who I am and what's going on, I can spread it out with no distraction and see what's going on here. Um, these are some really cool folks up here. If you are a history nerd and want to study some stuff, uh, St. Anthony over here is hanging out with his pig and apparently a chicken who has invaded a tin can who's psychotic. Um, there's a lot going on in here which happens when you get into Christian communities that love art. What does that mean? Um, St. Anthony, a lot of his life story was he, he really fought against Satan and sin and darkness in himself, and it physically took the form of a pig for him. That's weird. I got nothing else for you on that. I just think <laughs> that's weird. 
These folks become the forerunners to monks and nuns, which we'll get into just a, just a second. But what happened, like for you, how do you experience God? What happens when you seek to prioritize not only your time, but your taste buds? I mean, these folks lived so simply. Food was water and a crust of bread every day. And about your bed does not become a distraction. Your physical mattress. What about your wardrobe? You wear the same thing every day if you're these folks. That will not distract me from my singular intent of focusing on God. If I read my Bible on my phone and it vibrates even once, I am sucked from a spiritual experience back into the world. I don't know if you've ever had that sensation. What would it be like to never be sucked back in, but just to stay there and to worship? Whoa. Just some radical folks. And I think it's also worth pointing out, these people lived all over the Mediterranean. The strongest contingent of them was in Africa. And so our African brothers and sisters show their hand as our first major stop in the world of church history, and that matters. And their influence, these mother, desert mothers and fathers, will show their influence all through Africa and through African spirituality. It's amazing. This will take us to about the year 600 AD. This will be a major player that everybody knows about, the Catholic Church. Catholic Church comes on scene. But if our focus is not so much on like the general history, but how did people experience God? This is a really cool thing about the Catholics, it's, and it's today. Like, you walk into a Catholic church, and you will notice they are focused on the altar. It is front, where I am standing now, I would not be standing in a Catholic church. There is an altar that is there. That is the seat of God. That is something that focuses on the fact that we are here to meet with Him. That's cool. It's in the center of the church. The, the preacher in the old school buildings would literally be like hanging on the wall on the side. They'd have this little like enclave for him. He'd pop out up there. Today, oftentimes, you're just standing off to the side. Why? It's because God, that's the most important thing. He's in the center of the room. And if you're hearing that and saying, it sounds like Zach should probably move over a step, you're right. They're focused on sacramental rites, communion, this sweet gift that Jesus says, every time you do this, this is my body and my blood. A, they take that literally. And B, it has deep meaning for them. They have a number of sacraments. And for them, if you're Catholic, you take communion when you've understood the gravity of it. Until you can understand that gravity, you are not allowed. Man, the depth, the weightiness, the seriousness with which they take their faith regardless of how you feel about how that actually fleshes out. That's interesting. And there's this focus on the crucifixion, the crucifix, the suffering of Jesus. You walk into a Catholic church, there's crucifixes everywhere. We, we are not that way, and we're going to talk about why in just a minute. But I was um, hanging out with my friend Pablo. I've shared this story here a couple of times, so I'm going to share this briefly. If you want the longer version, hit me up because I love telling this story. But Pablo is, a, a, is from Argentina, and his family immigrated when he was a kid. And for him, we were, we were laughing around Young Life staff. Young Life loves the empty cross, for sure. He said, I just really lament, I really wish that we had a crucifix around more often because as an immigrant, as a minority living in America, when I see a Jesus who is willing to suffer, it warms my heart in a way that an empty cross just can't. This emphasis on suffering and sin and trial, oh, something beautiful about that. 
We're hanging out with the Catholic Church for a while until this crazy man comes along. His name's Martin Luther. And Martin Luther's cool because he chooses to like read his Bible, which seems like a great idea. Um, we're, we're, we like that idea around here. His whole, his whole mantra was sola scriptura. All you need is scripture. If you want to hear God, if you want to experience him, it's all right here. And man, he was passionate about this. Instead of walking into church now, if you were Lutheran, part of this Lutheran church, and now the church is going to do this wild family tree genogram thing going on, instead of just seeing an ornate altar at the front, if all we need is this, this is why I'm not standing off to the side today. Because if you're Lutheran, now it all becomes about teaching and preaching and discourse. You're going to see a prominent pulpit. And today, when you walk into a Lutheran church, this, the pulpit is in the center of the room, and oftentimes it is beautiful. Why? Because this book has been centered, and it matters. And for the Lutherans, this is where the empty cross comes in really strong. Why? Because when you read this book, sin and suffering matter. Lament has to be represented in worship. And grace grace, God's grace. The, the Catholic Church can sometimes be so focused on sin and suffering that they miss this idea of grace. And Luther, man, did they <laughs> correct, overcorrect, do with that what you will. It was really cool. Luther, at that same time, this is all in the early 1500s, the Calvinists come along. John Calvin and his crew, they, they liked Luther. They liked what he began, but Luther and the Lutherans, and again, if you go into a Lutheran church, you'll still see a lot of elements that look kind of Catholic. Like there's a, They're like Catholic light in some ways, that way, the Lutherans. And, and the Calvinists came in and they said, look, we, we think that they've got it so wrong, these Catholics. We don't want to have anything to do with any of that stuff. So where the, the Lutherans will keep a lot of those elements, the Reformers said, if it's not in Scripture, we ain't doing it. The Calvinists rejected this monastic way, the idea of monks and nuns, this kind of hierarchy or this specialized life. They said, nope, we're all going to do things the same way and we're going to do it together. And one of the big things as we talk about how do you experience God and hear God, one really interesting thing about these Calvinists is they said, we want to transform society from within society. When you think about worshiping God, how does that interact with the larger community around you? Because for the Calvinists, they said, we, we're not going to be able to experience God unless we are deeply involved in what's going on in the world around us. This is a major tenant for them. So if you've ever had the thought, man, I just wish there were more Christians on the PTO or the HOA board or in government office, I want the ideas of the church to influence and bless the community around it. This is where some of those roots are. Hold it lightly. And again, in the early 1500s, this is a wild group of people, the Anabaptists. If you've never heard of these folks, they looked at the Catholics and the Lutherans and their idea of the Lord's Supper, this like, that's actually the body and blood of Christ. And they said, that's crazy. Communion is purely a symbolic act. And a lot of the things they looked at, they said, man, these Catholics are so serious about baptism. And they're baptizing babies. We just don't get on board with that. We, just, we think that baptism really should be for somebody who they understand what they're doing. So we reject this idea of infant baptism. We're going to baptize people when they're adults and can understand the story and what's going on and make the choice themselves. And for that, they were slaughtered. 
They were killed for believing that. Um, this picture up on the screen this is a really cool story. This guy, Dirk Williams, was an Anabaptist, and he was caught and imprisoned, um, sentenced to death, and he was in this, this tower, and he tied some bedsheets together and crawled out the window. Don't know who's doing security at this particular prison. Um, but he gets down, and there's this moat that's covered in ice, so he takes off across the moat, and one of the guards sees him and takes off after him. The guard, the man on the right, falls in through the ice and is certainly going to die. And Dirk Williams, being somebody who says, I love Jesus, the Anabaptists were intensely pacifists, and they were all about life, turns around and sees his pursuer falling through the ice, turns around, goes back, and pulls him back out. They throw him back in jail, and he's executed the next day. Whoa. That guy really believed what he was selling. Neither the pulpit nor the altar starred in the center of the room for these folks, but rather the idea of community. They didn't want to transform society. They wanted to make their own, something that would be set aside enough that you could see the stark contrast and go, which of these seems more like the kingdom you want to live in? And that people at large would say, look at God's kingdom. We want to live there. That is so much different. And they were these pacifists. I'll pay my taxes, but I don't want anything else to do with society. And worship for them looked like sitting quietly, sitting in a room together, simply sitting, waiting for God to speak. And a very consistent question that you heard asked in an Anabaptist worship experience is, what's God telling you? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever been asked that question? Thanks, Anabaptists. Then the Orthodox Church. Okay, here's a couple pictures. These guys, holy smokes. If you've never been in an Orthodox Church before, give me that next one, Joe. It's just incredible. I mean, from the crowd, you should be like, I can't even tell what's going on. That's exactly right. When you're in the building, you're like, there's too much to look at. There's so many beautiful things. From the way that they do candles, to the way that they dress, to the way that the front of the room works, Everything. It's, it's an artist's dream being in this place. The, the Orthodox said, we're going to do all things sensory. We love symbolism and metaphor. When you go through an Orthodox service, there is often involved touching things, kissing items. There's bells. There's incense. This elaborate clothing, color, decoration, icons reminding you of a robust, big, deep history that you're just playing one tiny little part in. Oh, it's amazing. And for those who love the honey teaching a couple weeks that back, and for those who love when we have art as a part of our services, for those who love history and context and everything you do, how do you experience God? This is pretty cool stuff. The this guy named John Wesley comes along and starts a group of folks called the Methodists. And the big idea here is this is a group of people who said there should be a method to how we follow God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get in small groups. We're going to read the Bible together. We're going to practice some disciplines together. Most of those, they would kind of recite these ideas of we're going to do no harm. We're going to do good. We're going to engage practical and personal spiritual disciplines like public worship, reading and memorizing scripture, receiving communion, investing in our families, practicing some sort of personal prayer as well as fasting and abstinence. It was very ordered. This is how we do it. How do you experience God? Like, man, I, I need a rigid program. 
I need a, I need a method. These Methodists, they feel, felt the same way. It can't just be so crazy willy-nilly. We've got to like, write it down. Do you love small groups? Have you ever tried to make a habit out of something that draws you to God? Some of those things have their roots with these folks. Two more stops along our way, and now we're getting a little more modern. The early 20th century, the, the Azusa Street Revivals. Man, if you've never heard of this, our African-American brothers and sisters, I think, have saved American spirituality at this turn of the century. It was led by an African-American preacher. His name was William J. Seymour. He's bottom, uh, bottom right center in the picture here. And the story goes like this. Seymour and seven men were just waiting on God on Bonnie Bray Street. It's a bunch of dudes hanging out on a street praying. When suddenly, as though hit by a bolt of lightning, they were knocked from their chairs to the floor. And the other seven men began to speak in tongues and shout out loud, praising God. The news quickly spread and the city was stirred. Crowds gathered. Services were moved outside just to accommodate the crowds who came from all around. People were coming and just falling down as they approached, and they attributed it to God. People were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was said that the sick were healed on the spot. Whoa. This might be one of those stories where you go, that, that's too much for me. And some of you are like, that's what I've been looking for. Tell me more of that story. Go hang out with William J. Seymour. But they brought back this emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit, this charismatic practice that it was not just read your Bible and pray, but that life, the spiritual life, was to be experienced. And today, most churches express the influence of this revival in the fact that we sing choruses. The way that we sing, the way that we clap when we choose to clap, we could use some more of that around here. Can I get an amen? Yes, please. Even raising your hands in worship. Man, these were just things that like, they were totally novel and new and incredible. And the Holy Spirit, I think, looking back on church history, was up to something here. And it's a gift that's not yet done giving. And then finally, our last one that we'll stop with is the social movements of the 19th century. This spans everything from prohibition to civil rights. But it was this idea in the question, how do you experience God? What about this idea of being active, being an activist for something? I don't know if prohibition is where you want to hang your hat. Civil rights, that'll preach. But should justice play a part in your worship? Is that a way that you'll hear from God? It was really driven by this whole idea, what counts is loving your neighbor and to help create a just society. They, they would say, it's not just simply about having some vague inner experience and some spiritual delight. If it doesn't get out of you, what the heck is it? That's a challenging question. Is faith just an interpersonal experience? Or does it not even make sense unless it is involved bringing the justice of God into the world? Does justice on this side of heaven matter? So, how do you experience God? Church history is beautiful because you just get this crazy, Joe, give me that next one, yeah. Just get all these crazy tensions. And when you sit with it, for you, what's your answer? Before you answer too quickly with, with an answer like well, all of them or a bunch of them, I want you to hold the tension of these stories 
Because over the past 2,000 years, for better or worse, people have literally been killed and imprisoned for their answer to this question. Also, as you answer, I want you to, ex- to consider this. What's your lived experience answer? How do you experience God? Are there some things on this list that you just find yourself naturally warming to that you just go, I just, I like that. I tend to feel God's presence that way. And for those that are like, I'm just checking out this whole spirituality thing. This is not my jam. I think the, the question can remain open. Are you open to the fact that there's a God that created the world? Can we consider that? And I know that that's, that can be wild in and of itself. But if that's true, that he did it with a motivation of deep love. And if that's true, that he's not making a wind-up toy to step away from, but that he's creating a relationship in which he wants to be deeply and intimately involved. And if that's true, he is not yet done speaking. How should we experience God? That's a tough question. That is too hard to answer, actually. I think that is too personal. How should you experience God? Well, how did he make you? I think that's between you and him. I think church history has so many ways that they just expand what a human soul can experience that we go, oh, well, these people got it right for sure. This is the Loctite. It's just more complex. We're more complex than that. I think author Gary Thomas wrote a book called Sacred Pathways, which if you're like, I am loving this, this would be a great one to pick up. But he says this, ultimately, it's a matter of spiritual nutrition, Many Christians have found the traditional quiet time to be somewhat helpful in starting up a life of spiritual devotion, but rather restrictive and inadequate to build an ongoing life-giving relationship with God. Since the quiet time is all that was taught, many have simply let the quiet time lapse without finding a substitute. Having never been taught any other way to feed themselves spiritually, they thus live on a starvation diet and then are surprised that they always seem so hungry. And then he'll go on in his book. There's a whole point of his book to break down. So what does that mean? Like if I'm on the starvation diet, if I want more than just the quiet time, which I would say it's not a setting aside of the quiet time, but a deepening of it. How do you do that? And he breaks it out and he says, look, most of us have a certain predisposition for relating to God. You're hardwired to experience him initially in one or maybe a couple ways. What are those? Well, he would say this. Here's a list. Some of us are naturalists. We experience God when we're outside, simply looking at the mountains. I was talking with a friend this week who pulled up a picture on his phone. It was a picture he took in Canada of some lilies on a lake. And he, for five minutes, was just like, look at this. Isn't God good? It was wild. That's not necessarily my slow jam. Every time I see Long Speak, I am reminded of God's faithfulness because it's there every single day, even when it's covered in fog. What does it look like to engage with God, to experience him, to hear him outside? What about sensates? These are where Orthodox friends just like get an A plus. But when it comes to like, man, when I'm interacting with the world, when I'm fixing my car, when I'm baking bread, the way that I'm tactically involved in the world around me, God just speaks to me when I'm doing stuff like that. Maybe that's you. Traditionalists, rituals and symbols, to be able to see a painting from 2,000 years ago, and have something deep within you leap to experience communion 
and to feel enraptured by the presence of God in that moment as a ritual. Maybe that's you. The ascetics. Most of the ascetics probably aren't here today because um, they're by themselves somewhere. <laughs> These folks are like in simplicity and solitude. I think the older I get, and I'd like to think I'm maturing just like fractionally, like please, Lord, let that be happening that I am wooed towards these folks and towards this kind of an experience of God. That just being by myself, which is never by myself, is being with him. I'll do some work. About, um, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pop through a couple more. Caregivers, parents, if this doesn't hit you right in, in between the eyes. What about caring for somebody else? One of my favorite things, oh, I'm so excited for second service. Y'all miss it if you're only here first. My friend Tara will serve communion to my friends Gerald and Donna, who are in wheelchairs. They're, they're paraplegics. And watching her serve them, like, I'm, I'm just undone. It's worth hanging out for, <laughs> for second service, any, any week. Come back at 1.30. Intellectuals, I love engaging God with my mind. It's all about the study for me. Where are you on here? And in fact, what about that initial list that we started at? Just for fun, Gary Thomas in this book points out, the mature Christians develop a palate to engage on many of these levels. It's likely a byproduct of paying attention to where God's showing up in the area you're predisposed for and then realizing just how involved he is with everything. So let me ask again. How do you experience God? There's a lot going on there. And then before we move on to our second question of when, I just want to say this. I, I want to recall the one thing that holds all these traditions together, the one thing they would all agree on despite the fact that it looks so different with how they expressed it. Each of these moments in church history, each of these expressions of church, of experiencing God, was they were each doing their very best to remain rooted in Scripture. They were not making up their own rules to play by. They weren't running willy-nilly. They were based in the book. There is absolutely room for seasons in your spiritual life, particularly if you've had Scripture shoved down your throat as a discipline. There are times when you will just need to give it a little bit of space. That is totally fine. But the big picture... I just firmly believe that the Bible is the most valuable thing that you own if you own one. And if you don't, I'd be honored to give you one. But I want to repeat this. All of these traditions did their very best to remain rooted in Scripture. So however you experience God, how do you root yourself in Scripture? Okay, now let's pick up some speed. You ready? How, how do you experience God? Open-ended question, very difficult to answer, probably between you and him. When do you experience God? I feel much more confident about my answer on this one. Are you ready for this? Let's read our passage again for today. Again, Matthew 6, verses 30 through 34. Jesus says, If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you and take pride in you and do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax. Do not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality 
God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. This is the teaching that Jesus is giving where he's talking about not being worried about your clothes. And it's, it can be too quickly assumed like that's what he means. Like don't worry about what you're going to wear. That's really not the point that he's getting at. Did you catch his answer? If the question is when should we experience God, steep your life. Give me that next one, Joe. Steep your life in God reality God initiative and God provisions and give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. When is the best time to experience God? It's right now. Heck yeah. Okay. That means right now. That means we could do it right now. Is God that present? Is he that capable that in any given moment of any given day, he is perfectly and 100% attentive to you? I'm still trying to wrap my head around that because I don't live that way. I believe it up here. Man, I'm trying to bring my heart into alignment with like living that. Oh, that's fun. I'm like, tell me more of that story. This teaching of Jesus is not about clothes. He's teaching a lifestyle here. He's talking about a life that is constantly steeped. Have you ever had a, a cup of tea? You just put it in there and it like... Done. Like, and then T's just like, ah, like, I'm just, let me make this better for you. You just, your whole, just put it, put yourself in the reality that God's here right now perfectly. Ah, like, you don't, you just sit there. Like, that's all you got. It's amazing. Steep your life. Message translation. What a gift. That's amazing. And the cool thing about Jesus is he wasn't like one of these teachers who launches grenades and is like, here's a good idea. Somebody should go do that. Like, here's another good thought. He was a guy who said, I'm just going to show you. Like, I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to show you. And I think the author Sky Jathani just, just caught it wonderfully. Um, he wrote a book called With, thanks to Leposis for my copy. But he said this, Jesus did not experience his father's presence merely in his times of solitude or while speaking to him, but also during his hours of healing and teaching and serving others. He repeatedly spoke of his utter dependence on God. He repeatedly spoke of dwelling with the father in present unity. A full reading of the gospel shows that Jesus lived in constant communion with the Father, even when no words were used. This fuller understanding of prayer is often perplexing to those who have only known prayer as communication. Jesus, with his life, is inviting us to pay attention right now, all the time. There are no ordinary moments in any given day if you're a follower of Jesus, the invitation is to consider every moment as sacred, as holy, that in every moment, it is a moment in which heaven is touching earth because in every moment, the Holy Spirit is attentive to you. Well, that's cool. To be clear, I think this kind of life may sound like it should be like a constant conversation between you and God, like how... Like, how's anybody else going to get a word in? Maybe I do have to go live in a desert by myself and eat bread. And if that's what you're hearing, I just want to confirm, I think you're hearing it right. However, I want to deepen it a bit. Uh, Mother Teresa was being interviewed by Dan Rather. I'm, I'm still trying. We were just talking backstage. I would love to find the footage of this interview. 
but rather, rather turns to me and says, hey, Mother Teresa, when you pray, what do you say to God? And it's Mother Teresa, right? She turns and she looks back at him and she says, I mostly listen to God. And rather is like, okay, uh, well, when God speaks to you, what does he say? And Mother Teresa said, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. And if you don't understand that, I can explain it to you. And then she just stares at him. <laughs> Sky Jathani wrote this whole book that basically she just summed up in one sentence. Um, how do you experience God? For Mother Teresa, she would just say, I just kind of sit here and listen. And what's God up to? What's he saying? What's he doing around? He's just like, wow. No, I'm just like, he's just kind of there. We're just kind of here together. There's just not a lot of like extra that we need for that. <laughs> yeah, my, my head, like again, my head gets that. My heart is still like, what? How does that work? And like, we need to do some calisthenics. Here. Like something needs to shake. And I love the stillness and the simplicity of this. The last couple of weeks, it's been one of my favorite things um, to just engage a contemplative moment together. And I'm mourning a little bit because this week we're not going to do it together. But I still want to offer you a sweet gift of some time of hearing God. This is, uh, our contemplative moment for this week is a type of prayer called a prayer of examine. And it was really developed, it was developed by this old dude, St. Ignatius. And he was trying to figure out, how do I help teach people to pay attention where God's at work in their life? He would call this discernment. But no matter if you're somebody who walks around and sees the mountains or who's deeply entrenched in reading your, your Bible, no matter if you're just so in on baking bread and the metaphors that just stream out of engaging life as it is, no matter what, how do you pay attention to what God's doing in and around you? So this is what he taught his folks to do. Twice a day, at midday and at evening, stop and consider for a moment. Where's God popping up in your day? Where have you experienced something that moved in you? Where have you experienced an invitation from him? Something kind or beautiful or lovely or good that you would just stop and go, yeah, there he is. That's what he's up to. Is it in nature? Is it in your senses? In a symbol or a moment of contemplation? In caring and serving for others? How about a conversation with a friend where just something they said just stuck with you? Or maybe just in a moment of silence of just sitting and listening to a God who is also sitting and listening. This week is not a practice that we're going to do here. It's the homework practice. So here's my invitation to you. In the lobby, if you want to accept this invitation, are some cards that will just walk you through. It's something that you could tuck away. If you want a whole bunch of them, I'll send you the PDF, and you just print them off to your heart's delight. But here's how a prayer of examine goes. Movements. First one, as you enter into prayer, you just recognize God's here. The reality, uh, he's present to me right now. Like I'm sitting with a dear friend, a protector, a good father who loves me. I'm just going to become aware to that fact. Next, I'm here. All my stuff, all my baggage, all the cool and beautiful things about who I am, I am here in my fullness. And this step, there's a really beautiful prayer to just say, God, I want to see myself like you see me. Help me see the real thing because I have an infinite capacity for self-deception. The next step is to recall. Just look back on the last 24 hours. What happened 
There's a wheel that you'll see on the, pr- the things that are printed out there. 24 cuts in that wheel just to shade in. Oh, man, 6 a.m. this morning. This got me. And then at 3 a.m. I had that conversation with a friend. Use that if you want. And then as you're remembering, oh, here's where he showed up. Reflect on those moments. Where were the times that you felt particularly close to God or far away from God? And when you consider both when the goodness or that distance showed up, what do you notice? What might he be saying in the midst of all that? And then finally, you just look towards tomorrow. How might God be saying, man, I want to interact with you or be with you or play with you or delight with you in a different way? What could that look like? And ask him to be specific with his input. Consider your own desires in this too, and then just with a moment of gratitude. So this couple comes in at 1.45 on a Sunday, and they come and they sit down in the front row. I'm like, you all know that we did church at like 9 and 10.45. And that particular day was just one more moment for me of like remembering like, oh yeah, this isn't where we experience God. I mean, this is part of it. This is part of the story for many of us. But if this is it, like if I don't find myself wandering into God's presence at 1.30 in the afternoon on a Sunday, look at the beauty that I miss in my life. When is the right time to listen to God? Right now. All the time. How do you listen to God? Man, that's between you and Him. And my prayer for us individually and my prayer for us as a church is that the further that we walk together, the more we find that the answer to that question, man, it's robust. There's a lot of ways to see what he's up to and to notice where he's at. We're going to engage one of those practices right now, at least one. But for those who are willing, let's stand and sing together.